Hi, this is Alan Burrow for Faith Working. The sermon you are about to hear is one I preached at the King's Congregation in Meridian, Idaho. For more sermon podcasts or for the Faith Working radio show podcasts, go to faithworking.com. To subscribe to all our Faith Working podcasts, go to the iTunes store and search for Faith Working under podcasts. For information about the King's Congregation, go to the church website at thekingscongregation.com. Morning, we come to chapter 20 of the Gospel of Matthew, and we will be looking at verses 17 through 34. Matthew 20, verses 17 through 34. Hear now the Word of God. Now Jesus, going up to Jerusalem, took the twelve disciples aside on the road and said to, him, said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief tree, priests and to the scribes, And they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify. And the third day he will rise again. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to him with her sons, kneeling down and asking something from him. And he said to her, What do you wish? She said to him, Grant that these two sons of mine may sit, one on your right hand and the other on the left in your kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, You do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They said to him, We are able. So he said to them, You will indeed drink my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but is for those for whom it is prepared by my Father." And when the ten heard it, they were greatly displeased with the two brothers. But Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Now as they went out of Jericho, a great multitude followed him. And behold, two blind men sitting by the road. When they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, Son of David. Then the multitude warned them that they should be quiet. But they cried out all the more, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, Son of David. So Jesus stood still and called them and said, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Lord, that our eyes may be open. So Jesus had compassion and touched their eyes, and immediately their eyes received sight, and they followed him. Let us pray. God and Father, we pray. Open this treasure to us now by your Holy Spirit that we could understand, that we could believe and trust, and that we would be changed by the power of the Spirit, that we would be your faithful disciples. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We have a crisis of leadership and authority in our country. By and large, we do not trust our leaders. They're in it for themselves. That's the way we feel based on how they conduct themselves. They want position. They want power. They want wealth. They want control. And even when they speak altruistically about helping others, we don't trust them 
because it always seems to turn out that the prime motivation is what's in it for them. Their brand of helping others always seems to primarily help themselves, solidifying their position, increasing their power. And the people they help always seem to end up becoming permanently dependent on further help, usually at the expense of others. We're distrustful of of authority as a whole, especially what is considered to be traditional authority, which in the West is largely associated with Christianity due to its influence in the West over the last 2,000 years. We reject the authority of the Bible, God's Word. We reject authority especially as it is associated with the church and with the family. We reject ecclesiastical authority. It's almost a joke in our days. So it's ridiculed and has been for a long time. We reject authority within marriage. We reject the authority of parents. To the extent that any of these are maintained, they are viewed with high suspicion. And in spite of all of this erosion of what is considered to be traditional authority, and of course tradition in our day is considered uh, to be pretty much synonymous with evil, we are not left in a situation where there is no authority. As one kind of authority has been torn down, there is another kind of authority that has rushed in to fill the vacuum. And that authority in our day is state authority. And when I say state, I'm not talking about state in the sense of one of the 50 states. I'm I'm using state in the same way that Plato would use it, or Voltaire, or Marx, or Lenin, or Mao. I'm talking about the authority of central government. And all these things are connected. It is the abuse of position and authority by leaders of any sphere whether it's in marriage, it's in family, whether it's in the church, the state, and of course being sinners in a fallen world, you have abuses galore in every direction. You don't have to look far to find abuses of leadership and authority. But in spite of that, again, the authority vacuum is always filled by some other authority and with some other leaders. And remember that not all leaders are obviously leaders. You have the leaders who are very obvious in their quest for power. You always have your obvious tyrants. You have your Hitlers. You have your Maos. You have your Stalins. You have your Mussolinis. But you also have the tyrants who are not obvious. You have the ones that are not generalissimos, who are not standing up in front of the people with medals on their chest. You also have the guru type of tyrants. You have your Rasputins and the like, who don't obviously pull the levers of power, but they're behind the scenes controlling your Obi-Wans, so to speak, controlling others. So we start to see that authority is really inescapable. It doesn't go away. It changes, but it doesn't go away. And because authority is inescapable, if there's to be any kind of a social relations within humans, unless we're all going to go to our own individual little islands, and our islands have nothing to do with one another, there's always going to be authority. And because authority is inescapable, so is leadership. And therefore, so are leaders. It is not a matter of whether 
but of which and what kind. And this is what Jesus is talking about in our text. The way that leadership and authority are done in our world produces continual distrust, conflict, jostling for position and power, dishonesty, manipulation, subversion, and revolution, violence. And the more things change, the more they stay the same. This is part of the way that Satan holds sway over the world. It is part of the way that he rules the world and holds the world in thraldom to death. Death operating through human sin. This is why you always have politicians promising change. And we always assume change is a good thing. But once we have change, we realize the change is the same. The tyrant looks different, has a different voice, may make a few slightly different promises, but it is the same old thing. This is something that Jesus came to change. This whole problem. And the way he wants to change it, of course, is first through his life, his death, and his resurrection. In other words, his leadership and the whole way he came to leadership and the whole way he came to authority and power and the whole way that he exercises it. Now, for the first time in the history of the world, we have a new kind of leader. We have a new kind of king. We have one who has all authority and all power in heaven and on earth, and yet one who behaves completely differently in the way that he wields it. And we have one who acted completely differently even before he had all authority. In his path to power, in his path to authority, in his path to be the ultimate leader, he behaved completely differently. And Jesus wants to use his authority and his leadership to revolutionize the way we think about leadership and authority, the way we aspire to it, and the way that we exercise it. He wants to revolutionize the way these things are done in the world so that leadership and authority inspire trust and confidence, a love of authority, a glad submission and an embracing of the biblical truth that freedom is a byproduct. It is a byproduct of glad submission to godly authority. Jesus is all about freedom. America has been all about freedom. But never forget that every tyrant is always about freedom. For there has never been a tyrant in the history of the world who has not promised freedom. True freedom is a byproduct. You can't go straight at it. It's a byproduct of glad submission to godly authority. And Jesus wants to revolutionize leadership and authority, first by his work, and secondly, through us, through his disciples, through his church. 
as disciples of Jesus Christ, we are supposed to get authority and leadership right. We are supposed to show the world something it has never seen and which it has no power to produce. And this is especially important when a culture is breaking down because it is turning away from God, as is the case in modern America. We can see exactly this situation in the book of Hebrews. These Hebrew Christians were living in a culture that had a great biblical heritage that had once been a godly society and were in that sense unique and special. But it was turning away from God and things were breaking down right and left. And so the book of Hebrews tells these Christians, look, it's important that in the midst of this chaos, in the midst of the storm that's going on around you as you watch your entire culture implode, It is very important that you show life the way it's supposed to be. That's part of your witness. That's part of you laying the foundation for the future. You don't know what's going to happen. You don't know if God's going to turn your culture or your country around or if he's going to continue to give it over and bring it under judgment. But this you know. If you're Christ's faithful disciples, you're laying the foundations for the future. You're laying the foundation for the future one way or another. And in the book of Hebrews, it says this. Here's what you're supposed to do. Worship Jesus. Worship Jesus as Savior and Lord. And how do you know that? You know that because He will shape you. If you are shaped from top to bottom and side to side by Christ, you know you're worshiping Him. If you're being shaped by something else, you know you're worshiping something else. And the book of Hebrews goes on and says, here are four major areas that you have to get as the disciples of Jesus Christ. And you will get if you're worshiping Jesus. Number one, love. Number two, sex and marriage. Number three, money. And number four, power. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. Power, authority, leadership. Jesus wants us to get it right. And thus be part of changing the world. But this isn't going to happen automatically. Because we have the same impulses in us that are in the world. When it comes to authority and leadership. And you can see it in our text. You have Mrs. Zebedee coming with her two sons, her two boys, James and John, kneeling down before Jesus and asking for something. He says, what do you want? She says, grant that these two sons of mine, my two boys, one can sit on your right hand and the other on your left in your kingdom. And this, of course, produces ill will on part of the other disciples. And just like when we read this, we think, can you believe that? I mean, can you believe this woman? Can you believe these two guys? They come and do this. But, you know, if you really think about it, what's bothering the disciples and why they're so upset and why we tend to get so upset about this is is because they used such crass form. This is not how you go about it. This is so crass. This is clumsy. The disciples, in all likelihood, 
are to a large extent upset because Mrs. Zebedee beat them to the punch. Show me one disciple who wouldn't want to be at Jesus' right hand. And if they couldn't be there, then on his left hand. And we think about, well, her form is bad. Well, it's like, don't you want good by your children? Don't you want to see your children advance? Don't you want to see them exceed to high positions and so forth? That's universal throughout the human race. Now, Jesus corrects this view of an approach to authority, position, and leadership. He says to Mrs. Zebedee and her two sons, he says, you don't know what you're asking. In other words, you have no idea what you're talking about. You don't understand how authority and leadership work. You don't understand God. And you don't understand the ways of God. And you don't understand the path to leadership and authority or the way of leadership and authority. And he asks him, are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink? And of course, he's talking about the cross. He says, are you able to be baptized with the baptism I'm about to be baptized with? And of course, they cluelessly reply, yes, which just confirms they have no idea what they're talking about. And Jesus says to them in so many words, well, you're indeed, you're going to walk my path. For it is the only God-given path to authority, but it's not the path you think. You aren't paying attention. Didn't you hear what I just said? We're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and scourge and crucify. And the third day he will rise again. This is the path to authority and leadership. And then Jesus basically says, let me spell out in a nutshell what this means regarding leadership and authority. He says, you know the rulers of the Gentiles. In other words, he says, I'm now going to talk about the kind of authority and leadership you know something about. It's what you've been watching your whole lives. It's what you see. It's what you see in Rome. And before Rome... It was Greece, and before Greece, it was the Medo-Persians, and before them, it was the Babylonians. And you can just keep going back. You know something about this kind of power and authority. And for that, it's about position. It's about the authority. It's about the ability to boss other people around. It's about the ability to control them. It's about the ability to aggrandize yourself. You know it very well. But God's leadership and authority is nothing like that. And therefore, as my disciples, this is not the way it's going to be among you. Whoever desires to be great among you, here is Jesus taking a wrecking ball to their whole way of thinking. He says something shocking. You want to become great? Be a servant. You want to be first? Be a slave. And I am the example. I'm showing you the path. Because I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. And what does that mean? That means laying down my life as a ransom. That's what it looks like. Now Jesus, in these few words, does not spell out an entire theology. 
but by implication, he does. He gives us the seed. He gives us the kernel. He gives us the little pinch of leaven that changes the world. If we get what Jesus is saying, it's going to revolutionize the way we think, approach, aspire to, and do leadership and authority. Now, it's often called servant leadership. You hear that if you get in church circles, you hear that it's a cliche. Servant leadership, servant leadership. But sometimes I think we think that simply by saying it, we'll know what it is and we'll do it. I think that we haven't given near enough thought about what it really means. Sometimes it means no leadership at all, because if you're a servant leadership, you, 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 you never take charge, you don't make any decisions, you don't do anything. Sometimes it paralyzes us from any authority or leadership at all. Other times it's just a cliche to mask selfish ambition. But I would like to point out, out of all the different things that we could point out about this, I want to point out for you five characteristics that we see in Jesus and that we see in the Bible, five characteristics of one who understands biblical leadership and authority. And again, Jesus is an example in all of these. And that's why this whole passage is bracketed by two great examples of Jesus' leadership and authority. You start out, of course, with him saying, we're going to Jerusalem, I'm going to be betrayed, I'm going to die, I'm going to be crucified, and then I will be raised again. And then on the back end, it is bracketed by the actions of Jesus as a leader in healing the two blind men. They're crying out. The crowd is telling them to shut up because they're ruining the moment. They're ruining the moment. This is special here. This is Jesus. We're, this is a cool moment here. And these two guys keep shouting out. But Jesus hears them. And he stops. In contrast to the crowd, he stops and asks them what they want. They ask to have their sight. He, asks, he acts with this kind of compassion. Now think about it. How could anything possibly be on his mind at this point, knowing what he knows about what's coming his way? I think any of us in this situation, we would be a mess. We wouldn't be thinking about anything else but about the scourging and the trial and the betrayal and the frame job and the crucifixion that awaits us. But Jesus hears these two guys who are blind. And he puts their interests before his own, at least from a human way of thinking. So let's look at these five characteristics. The first characteristic of somebody who gets godly biblical leadership and authority is substance first, then position. Substance first, then position. The Bible makes a big deal to say about Jesus that he did not exalt himself. In Hebrews chapter 5, it says, Christ did not glorify himself to become high priest, to become king. He did not glorify himself. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul says, God highly exalted Jesus. 
God gave him the name that is above every name. God is the one who called upon all to bow the knee before Jesus and to honor him as Lord. That's what God did. That's not what Jesus did. That's what God did. He, Jesus did not glorify himself. Instead, Christ showed the substance. Again, Philippians 2. This is what Jesus did. The opposite of what we would think is the path to leadership and authority. Jesus made himself of no reputation, and he took the form of a bondservant. So you see that when Jesus in our text says, you want to be first, be a slave. You want to be a leader, be a servant. That's not just a nice platitude. This is what he did. He took the form of a bondservant. He humbled himself. He became obedient to the point of death on a cross. That's what Jesus did. He showed the substance of true godly leadership and authority. God exalted him. He did not exalt himself. This is how you aspire to leadership and authority. It is not wrong to aspire to leadership and authority. Paul says that aspiring, for example, to eldership in a church is not wrong. He says it's a good thing. It's not a matter of aspiring or not aspiring. It's a matter of aspiring in the right way. Jesus aspired to be the king of heaven and earth. You can't get more ambitious than that. But it's a different kind of ambition than we think about. It's a completely different kind of ambition. Second characteristic is that it is a person under authority. A person who gets in a, in, in, in a godly authority and leadership is a person under authority. Christ aspired to authority by being under authority. It says in the Gospel of John that he always did the things which pleased his Father. That's what Jesus says. I always do the things which please him. He placed himself under authority. Christ aspired to authority by loving the authority over him. He wasn't gritting his teeth. He loved the authority over him. He loved the authority of his Father. And not only that. He loved the authority of his parents. We're told about the episode when Jesus was 12 in the Gospel of Luke's, of how he continued in subjection to his parents. Now this is a boy who at 12 who already knew God better and who knew the scriptures better than any of us are ever going to know in this life. And he already knew it better than his parents, better than all the leaders of Israel. And yet, he continued in subjection to his parents. Fallen parents. Flawed parents. Parents who didn't always get it right. There was nothing inconsistent with that and Jesus being the Son of God. Nothing at all inconsistent. Many want authority who hate any authority over them. Many want authority, they want other people to submit to them when they can't stand to submit to anybody else. And that is the essence of a tyrant. Those who love godly authority hate ungodly authority. And this is, this is another thing that's very important. 
Those who love godly authority hate ungodly authority. Those who hate godly authority love ungodly authority. Okay? Those who are brought up and learn to love godly authority will hate tyrants. They will hate all ungodly authority, all usurpation of authority, all abuse of authority. Those who hate godly authority will love ungodly authority, even if it's just their own. Those who love ungodly authority will over time be condemned to live under it. Those who love godly authority will over time be blessed to live under it. So the second characteristic is a person under authority. In any setting, if you're faced with somebody moving into a position of power who does not like to be in submission to others, they don't like to be under authority, they're always trying to undermine, they're always trying to cause problems, run. Young people, if you're looking for a young man to marry, if you're looking for a young lady to marry, you're looking for somebody who loves godly authority. Okay? Regardless of what role they're going to be in. Young ladies don't think if you find a young man and he doesn't like being under authority, don't think he's going to change. And don't flatter yourself that he's going to change for you. He won't. The third characteristic of a person who understands and embraces godly leadership and authority is it is a person who trusts God. It is a person who trusts God. A person who trusts God is the only person you will ever find who loves godly authority over them and manifests the substance of godly leadership. Nobody else is going to love having godly authority over them. Nobody else is going to manifest the traits of godly leadership and authority except a person who trusts the living God. How do you know a person who truly trusts the living God? This is how. A person who truly trusts God is a person who entrusts themselves to God. It says in Hebrews chapter 5 that Jesus, in the days of his flesh, offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to God the Father who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his godly reverence. Where was his trust? His trust was in his Father. He followed his Father's promise to a place, the grave, on a promise that it had never come true in human history. Resurrection. Not resuscitation. Resurrection. That there's a way out the other side of the grave. And that that's where the Father was going to bring him. He entrusted himself to God. And you could see that in the way that he lived his whole life. That's how you know Jesus trusted in his Father. 
There are people who talk about trusting God when it's your life. That's the counsel they'll give you. They'll quote Romans 8.28 to you. God works everything for good. But you don't see it when it comes to their life. And trusting themselves to God is the sure acid test for a person who trusts God. And if they entrust themselves to God, they're going to regard godly authority in all forms as their friend. As their friend. So one of the things that I was uh, very thankful to God that in His mercy, that He, in His kindness, um, imparted to me as a new Christian when I was... uh, just about graduating from high school. My father wasn't a Christian. But I knew he loved me. And I knew that God was bigger than he was. And I knew that God, this was God's world, and that God would work through him. And so, through God's grace, he helped me to see that my father's authority and the other godly authorities over me, they're my friend. You're my friend. And so my whole view, I grew up in the, in the 70s, which was the whole time of revolution in, in, every, in every which way. My whole way of looking at my parents was changed because God showed me, wait a minute, godly authority is my friend. And that's true for you as well. The fourth characteristic of a person who understands and embraces godly leadership and authority is that it is a person who seeks first God's approval. They seek first God's approval. In John chapter 5, Jesus rebuked the leaders of Israel at that time who were rejecting Him. They were refusing to believe in Him. And He says, here's the problem. How can you believe who receive honor from one another? who do not seek the honor that comes from the only God. He says, basically, you can't believe because you're seeking first the honor that comes from one another, and you're not seeking first the honor that comes from God. Now, this doesn't mean that you shouldn't uh, be concerned to have a good name with other people. It says in Proverbs 22:1 that a good name is to be chosen Rather than great riches, a good name with people is something we should have as Christians. We're told in Luke chapter 2 that Jesus grew up in favor with God and men. This is something. The older he got, the more he grew in favor with God. But not only that, he also grew in favor with men. But seeking first the favor and honor of men is antithetical not only to godly leadership and authority, but to faith itself. It is antithetical to faith. It eats away at faith. It undermines faith. Because fundamentally, seeking first honor from others is idolatry. And so Jesus is saying, you guys are in so much of the grip of seeking honor from one another that it's impossible for you to believe. So one who gets... Godly leadership and authority is one who seeks first God's approval. Jesus did. Jesus did, and that is what we are supposed to do. 
And fifth and finally, one who gets and embraces godly leadership and authority is one who understands the ways of God. One who understands the ways of God. And specifically, this is what they have to understand. One's own blessing is a byproduct. Just like I said about freedom. Freedom is a blessing. Your blessing, your good, your happiness is a byproduct. If you go straight at it, you've got an idol on your hands. You can't go at it that way. Your happiness, your blessing, your good is a byproduct of this. It's a byproduct of you blessing God and others. Okay? You blessing God, you glorifying God, you seeking His approval, you seeking His affirmation and His honor, and you seeking to bless others. You serving God, you serving others. You seeking God's blessing and good, you seeking the good of others. Okay? Don't worry about your blessing. Don't worry about your happiness. Don't worry about those things. You don't need to worry about them. God's worried about those things. You worry about blessing God. You worry about blessing others. You worry about seeking God's honor. You, other, you worry about seeking others' good. Your blessing is a byproduct of that. And you can say the same thing by substituting the word authority. True authority, godly authority is a byproduct. It's a byproduct of blessing God and others. A person who understands this is a person who gets it. This is a paradoxical view of life. But it is at the center of the Christian faith. One of the things you hear from God again and again of his people in the Old Testament is that they don't understand my ways. They don't understand my ways. And that's why God would deliver Israel in some miraculous way or they get to Marah and the water is bitter and then he heals the water. Okay, but then just a little bit later they're going, we're going to starve. You brought us out in the desert to starve. We don't have anything to eat. And God's going, you don't get it. You don't get it. You don't understand my ways. And so they were always tripping over their own feet. They were always falling short of their own destiny and of their own blessing. You want to be somebody who gets it. You want to understand the way God operates. And you want to understand that this is not some paradoxical principle that God came up so that he could play games with us. This is the way of God himself. This is the way of Christ. This is the way that applied, the principle that applied for Jesus himself. There wasn't a special rule for the Son of God. He sought the blessing of his Father and the blessings of others first. That's what he did. That was his path to blessing. That was his path to leadership and authority. And the reason why it was that way for Jesus is because that's the way it is with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit who live in eternal blessedness. 
There is authority within the, the Trinity. There is position within the Trinity. The Trinity is not thing one, thing two, and thing three. It's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And what you see as we see them operate is we see that they're always seeking to honor and bless one another. The Father is the Father. We get that. And we see the Son honoring Him. We see the Spirit honoring Him. But what's also important that we see is how, what the Father does to honor His Son. All that He calls Jesus to do, the cross, is so that He can honor His Son and exalt His Son. And one that we often miss is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is very self-effacing. He never exalts Himself. He exalts the Son to the glory of the Father. And we have to really pay attention to see what's going on with the Holy Spirit. But don't forget the episode where Jesus was accused of casting out demons by the power of Satan. Jesus there talked about blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. And He said an amazing thing. He said, blasphemies against the Father and the Son will be forgiven. But blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, blasphemy against the self-effacing one who never points to himself, will never be forgiven. And there you see the Father and the Son exalting the Spirit. This is the way of God. This is the way the Trinity operates in eternity before there ever was a, a world this is the way of God. This is the path to blessing. Jesus has walked this path ahead of you. He doesn't, he doesn't just not call you to do something that he wouldn't be willing to do. He doesn't call you to do anything that he hasn't done. Jesus has walked this path. And you see where it brings him. So in every situation, understand that blessing all blessings are a byproduct of this kind of life. If you live this way in any kind of context, let's say that you're working, you're working for somebody and they're not a Christian. If you, before God, you seek their blessing, that doesn't mean you're going to do anything dishonest for them, but you're seeking to make your boss successful in a God-honoring way, and you're seeking to bless the other employees, you're not involved in any office intrigue, you're not gossiping about the boss, you're not gossiping about other workers, you're not one of those workers who instead of sawing logs is always looking around to see what else is going on, who's doing what, who's jockeying, who's getting this favor, who's currying favor with the boss, what's going on. You don't, you're free. You don't have to worry about that. You don't have to think about that. Don't worry about it. Saw the logs that are in front of you. Do the work that is in front of you. Seek to make your boss successful under the blessing of God. Seek to be honorable and a blessing to other co-workers. Don't get involved in any of the soap opera going on all around you. And if you do this, God is going to bring it to the attention of those in authority over you at some point, your character that you're trustworthy, you're not a troublemaker, they can rely on you, you have good judgment, you're a hard worker, you work from the heart, you don't work with eye service, you work with genuineness. 
And when God brings them to see that, and it's not going to take all that long, authority and responsibility and position are going to chase you down from behind. It's going to flow your way like a river. Because that is what everybody out there in every position of authority is looking for in an employee. Who can I trust? Who can I trust? Jesus is changing the world. And he is revolutionizing the way that we understand leadership and authority. And it begins with us. This is something he wants us to get right. So start right where you are. Start in your home. Whatever authorities are over you. Make sure that you love authority over you. Make sure that you submit to it. For only in that way will you be somebody who really hates ungodly authority. I submit all of these things to you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.